Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Wow, dude, we have a great show today. On location, on-site recording here at Downtown Crown in Gaithersburg, Maryland. Where else would you want to be? I mean, we got we got good beer, excellent beer. In fact, I'm looking at the menu here, and I might not make it out of here alive uh, based on what I'm seeing. I'm having a 12 percenter right now. So, yeah, we're kicking it off strong. Why don't you kick us off with the cheers? Yeah, I want to do a cheers today, which I always think is a really fun day uh, to the Army-Navy game. I think it's you know an important part of f- football kind of history, present day, you know, supporting the troops. I've been to the Army-Navy game. It was unbelievable despite being 20 degrees and snowing like crazy. Um, but, you know, how about a little cheers to the troops on, you know, one of the most uh, iconic, I guess, in this day and age games. You know, you may think of a lot of the other games as important, whether it's SEC games or the Iron Bowl or whatever, but this one I think has a lot more meaning. So how about cheers to that? Cheers, buddy. Yeah. So today is our Virginia Tech-Kentucky basketball preview. We haven't done a lot of basketball shows over the last couple of years, but this matchup being such a big matchup, we had to preview it. And so we're bringing in some guests and we're going to introduce them in a little bit. But first, we're going to start with our typical news and notes. And we got a little bit of bad news late last night in that Trayvon McMillan, our best running back and the fastest running back on our roster, is transferring. He's going to graduate and then he won't play in the bowl game and he'll be gone. And it's I'm kind of sad about that. I always like Trayvon. Yeah, and for him, it 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 kind of makes a little a lot of sense. He did not sign up, for my mind, for as talented as he is to the running back by committee uh, set up that obviously. I think we all recognize Fuente is going to go with unless he finds a stud or somebody that he wants on the field uh, to take the majority of reps every game. So. I think that uh, it makes sense for him to kind of move on and find a place that he could start in a system that he fits in. He's actually, you know, we all know he's really talented. I would have loved to have, you know, had him stick around, but good for him. I hope he ends up at a great place. Yeah, and I said to you last night that he could follow in that Trey Edmonds path. Trey transferred his senior year, went to Maryland. I don't even think he played that much for Maryland, but Trey was an athlete, built guy, like all the measurables you need to get into the NFL, and he proved to be a hard worker, and Honestly, he ended up on the Saints, and Sean Payton is a guy who loves to incorporate athletes into his team, and he found a spot for Trey on special teams, and it worked out. I think Trayvon has ability at the next level because of his speed. Maybe it's a kick returner. Who knows? But we wish him the best, but I am sad that he's gone. The next thing I had was Tavante Beckett. He's a Mike linebacker, and he was dismissed from the team after a spring practice. I think it happened right around September. Uh, he had a felony conspiracy charge to sell marijuana that got dropped to a misdemeanor I think it might be two misdemeanors for possession now but it opens the door for him coming back to the team hopefully next year which I would welcome he was really good in spring yeah, and it's a position of need now that we have Moto kind of walking out the door, that linebacker spot so we can move people around and, and shuffle people around he's going to be depth is going to be instrumental at that position because I'm not sure we fully know what that that three um, that three spot linebacker position is going to end up looking like next year so uh, getting him back would be uh, huge and he's kind of a bruiser I mean he's yeah. a he's a he's a tough tough guy so it'd be good to get him on the field 
we do have those linebacking recruits that we're going after pretty hard. We have Keyshawn Artis already committed, and then Dax Hollifield is one of the prizes of this class we're trying to get. And if you add that to a couple of the other guys we brought on last year, all of a sudden the departure of Moto and the potential departure of Edmonds might not hurt as bad if you could get a guy like Beckett back. The last thing I had, Virginia Tech Notre Dame next year, October 6th. Notre Dame had to release their full schedule because of the NBC contract. Turns out they play Stanford the week before they come to Blacksburg. Body blow, baby. (laughs) Yeah, that is a body blow theory like you want. So anytime you can get Stanford and those big boys going up against Notre Dame to weaken them, plus it gets – they're always focused. That It it seems not so – important to me but it's always an important game for notre dame and for stanford for me it's just like whatever it's becoming a rivalry yeah it's become a rivalry over time and it's always a bang up game so uh that's good for us (laughs) good news hey if we got to play notre dame they always bring a lot of talent to the table you want them to at least have played a navy or a georgia tech or a stanford before they play you all right let's do a quick 2017 virginia tech basketball season overview before we get into the matchup. And this has been a pretty good start for Tech. Other than the one St. Louis game where we lost, we're 8-1. and one. And 31st in Ken Palm, that's the highest I can remember us being at any point in the last few seasons. And Sagarin had us the exact same at 31. Our strength of schedule is weak, but that is taken into, into account with those two ratings. The wins over Washington, Iowa, and Ole Miss are probably the best three on the resume. All the other teams are, I think, below 200 in terms of where they're coming in on the rankings. And the best win is probably Ole Miss, although that wasn't a pretty game and we escaped by the skin of our teeth. Washington, though, beat Kansas this past week. And they're not quite in the top 100 this year, but I think that win might age really well. Yeah, so I think the the two... Yeah, it was a, a fortunate thing that happened with Washington, an unfortunate thing that happened with St. Louis, who rattled off four losses after oh, after you know we after, after really beating bad. us does not look good. But then that Washington win starts to look a lot better with Kansas. They have number twelve Gonzaga coming up uh, pretty soon, so um, that could be interesting as well if they were able to pull out a W there. That Washington win could start to look good, uh, and like we mentioned. Getting that Ole Miss win and the Iowa win in the same week is is good. So they're off to a, a pretty healthy start, I would say. We most recently beat Radford 95-68. to It was the sixth time in nine games we scored 95 points. We're putting up a lot of points. And if I had to summarize the season just as simple as I can, we're very good offensively and not so good defensively. It's simple, but that's that's what's happening. And we get rattled at times. And when we get rattled, it gets pretty ugly. So and, with yeah. weird turnovers and um, the one loss that we had with the St. Louis game, it's because all of a sudden, you know, we couldn't make anything. Yeah. I mean, you, you went from being one of the highest scoring teams in the country to all of a sudden like playing a low scoring, fight it out game. And if we get put in that position, it's not good. <laughs> And look what happened in the game right after St. Louis. We came out and had our best shooting night of the year. So we are, I wouldn't want to say feast or famine, but there's a little bit of that going on. We also struggle to rebound the basketball, and that's because of our lack of size. That's another thing everyone knows about this team. We only have one true big, at least only one big that was on scholarship before the season started in Kerry Blackshear. And he's a skilled offensive player. His defense is, is coming along. So the lack of size means we're full small ball. I mean, we're a four-out, one-in style team you see so much these days. And we shoot the three, get out in transition, and get to the line. 
you were talking about it. You were tweeting about it and talking about it on our last podcast. That's what we do. We, we get to the line more than just about any other team in college basketball, second out of 350 teams in free throw attempts per game. Yeah, what I haven't figured out is is that it seems as I can't tell if we're recruiting towards it. It's just been kind of unfortunate events and people that are kind of coming in and out of the program uh, or just having, you know, big guys be end up not panning out for us. But Buzz has now for three years straight gone almost full small ball. So, um, you know, that's coming becoming an identity, whether that he wants to be a long term identity, we'll find out. So. Uh, but you know, you're right. That's exactly what it is. And getting to the line is the number one goal for this team. Uh, it seems like uh, when every game, you know, it's like, you know, nine on one side and then we have like one penalty on our side. It seems that he's getting preaching that all the time. And the last key thing about this team is that it's a veteran team. We have six guys on the roster who have, I guess, are starting their third year plus in the program. So, no, it's not super deep in that regard, and we've had guys who have missed full years in Hill and Blackshear, and Clark has missed half of two different years, but there's a lot of experience here, and going into this Kentucky matchup, we're going to get to it, but that experience could be key. We're now going to bring in our guests to talk some Kentucky basketball and see what the keys for Virginia Tech and them are going to be in this game, and these are two of my good buddies. First, we have Richard Drake, a good friend of mine for a long time now. Him and his brother, Mike Drake, both grew up in the state of Kentucky. They are huge, huge diehard Wildcat fans. Richard's actually a Virginia Tech football fan and graduate, but loves Kentucky basketball. And that's understandable considering Virginia Tech's history. Mike, we have a Kentucky graduate. He's our token Kentucky guy here. Thanks for having me, Pete. No problem, man. I, I'm so happy to have you guys on. We've been talking about this for a long time. And the only way to start is just asking you what it's like to be a fan of such a blue blood powerhouse like Kentucky and the expectations that come with it every year. Does it get old after a while, just knowing that it's Final Four or bust almost every year? Before we get started on that, I just want to take a second. <laughs> I'm going to take off my VT or my uh, UK hat and put literally on my VT hat here. Oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> a little change this is great for podcasting. <laughs> yeah, you, can't, you cannot see. I'm, switch, I'm literally switching my hat. Uh, and I heard in that earlier news and notes segment that McMillan's transferring. Yes. And I love how you guys are very positive about that. That sounds great. <laughs> I'm not letting you off the hook. Oh, man. I hadn't heard that. I hadn't read the key play yet. Great website. You should subscribe. <laughs> but I want to know. We've seen this now. We've got about three running backs over the history of Fuente being on the team where they are underachieving what our expectations were at the beginning of the season. I remember listening to both of you guys talk about where we thought the running game was going to go, and now we have this. So I'm not letting you off the hook. Do not give me the positive. Give me what it means from a VT recruiting running back standpoint to be a Justin Fuente running back and what that means for the future of VT recruiting these right, I, I want to know I, it's, because it's, it's a serious change. You're in worried how, if it's transitioning into Paul Johnson trying to recruit wide receivers. I'm and worried. It's, yeah. it's becoming a weakness that a guy sees that he can't be dynamic in this offense. So how are we going to get a good running back? And I don't want to spend too much time on it, but there's a Tennessee commit, Anthony Grant, three-star running back, that has a visit to Virginia Tech next weekend while we're in Lexington, and. If we can flip him, I think it'd be a really good thing for our program because we need some some talent at running back coming in. We Holston do. looks like he might be missing some time now, and we're going to need some depth. Yeah. yeah. 
The uh, the power running back uh, days of old that you remember for Virginia Tech are not happening under Justin Fuente. So uh, we'll just we'll leave yeah. it at that. Uh, that is not going to be this offense. Are it's, we? And that, but that's also not necessarily a negative thing because in some of the best games that we've played, and not to spin this into a positive, we have played <laughs> we have played Very we have well played done. equal time for about three running backs, and it's ended up working. I think. The goal of it is to end up with something like uh, getting Peoples on the field that can be a, run a little bit more power and then um, getting McLeese on the field that can be a little bit more shifty. And if you can give Fuente two that are really talented, I think he'll play two. Right now, I don't feel like he has two. And now you're seeing three to four and Supplementing it's it with there. the wide receivers. That's, that's, we're doing that for a speed, a third speed option. That's what we've been doing is using – a Savoy or a Henry Murphy in the sweep game. It's it's interesting the way it's shaking out because it doesn't seem like Fuente has a good run game design. I like the way he sets it up. I do think that some of it's on the running backs just not making the extra effort and not making that extra play, extra stiff arm to get loose because that's where the extra yards per carry come from that we're missing. Yeah, and how much of it is personnel, right? He, did, he inherited these right. running backs, and if he needs somebody who's more Darren Sproles type, Maybe he can catch a little bit of an outlet pass, maybe be more efficient as a threat outside of sitting under center. But, you know, I'm, that's where I'm curious. Are we, yeah. are we transitioning? Is it a personnel transition? I think it's a transition. I think it's partially a transition because you're right. He's still working with mostly guys that he hasn't recruited at the running back position specifically. You're seeing his recruits come through at some of the uh, more on the outside positions. Yeah. But. Well, let's get back to this UK question because we do want to talk basketball, though. I do appreciate you switching the hats and going football for a minute there. <laughs> I just needed to put that on for a second. But without getting into specifics for this year, like, I, I want to know about your expectations because I was looking at this. You guys started number five in the preseason. That was the second worst start under Cal in the preseason poll. Fifth was second worst. It's That's terrible. crazy. Yeah, we're awful. <laughs> how does? But how do you deal with that? I mean, having every year, like – you're basically going to be disappointed. Yeah, so let me start with the stats, and I'll let my brother give you the emotions because he's the actual graduate here, and I'm just the guy who was born in Kentucky. So we've had 115 seasons. You guys have 110. But you guys are you're at about, let's say, 50%. We're at about nearly 80% win percentage over time. We've got eight championships, 12 trips to the finals, 18 Final Fours, and if we were looking at a median tournament result average, it's the Elite Eight. So on average, we are expecting that we would get to the Elite Eight, and if we're being honest, that's not what we're expecting. We're expecting one better than that, Final Four. So if you don't have a season where we get to the Final Four, you've failed. And when you talk about AP preseason average and AP final average, those things tend to correlate pretty well. We start somewhere just under 8, so 7.8 in the AP rankings over the last 25 years, and the final average has been about 10.8. So we got about a three-point spread negative that we get overrated, if we're being honest, in the AP preseason. So let's apply that to our current rating when we came out, and we should finish somewhere around 7 to 8 when we head into the tournament, and we should also finish somewhere in the Elite Eight. So when you're talking Kentucky basketball, you're talking about a blue blood program, literally blue. BBN. <laughs> where we don't lose, we don't accept failure. We've missed the NCAA tournament two times 
in the entire time that I've been alive, other than being banned for dropping a few bags full of cash for three years, because that happens sometimes. You know, it's the 80s. Everybody's doing coke. Everybody's dropping bags of cash. It's fine. Len Bias came right after that. Whatever. Not our fault. Anyhow, I'm going to let my brother speak to the emotional aspects of this, because it goes way deeper than the stats when it comes to Kentucky basketball. And I want to touch on something else with him as well, is that because you guys turn over every year so many players and the expectations are so high with those same players, you go through a lot of trying to love new guys and switching gears into other new guys. You track high school recruiting almost more than you track the actual team. It's, it's bizarre. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, and it's really, uh, I'll go backwards yeah. after I answer that. Um, we actually probably track recruiting less now under Cal than we used to okay. because we know Cal recruits at the end of the senior seasons. He doesn't get on sophomores early. He waits to see who proves out to be good. Then we come and steal him from every other program in the country. So we know we're going to be all right. We wait on it. When we were at Gillespie uh, and Tubby, we were watching eighth graders and convincing ourselves that this eighth grader is going to turn out to be great only to watch him struggle and fail. So we actually pay attention a little less, but we definitely follow recruiting like crazy. Um, from a Kentucky fan standpoint, so I grew up uh, mostly in the Northern Virginia area. I moved here when I was four years old, um, but that stuff gets in your blood. It's it's your family. It's it's literally blue blood in your veins. And so I've become a Northern Virginia uh, resident Washington sports fan. And so when you're asking does it get old to watch Kentucky win all the time? No, I need that in my life. Like it is my only savior to have Kentucky win. So yeah, I mean, I remember when uh, we were young uh, watching the Christian Leitner game. Like that's the first like true basketball memory I have. Our whole family is watching the game together. We literally moved the furniture in our house out of the way and I'm sprinting around the living room until I eventually fall on my face crying because he hit that shot. Uh, so it's in your blood forever. I knew I was going back to school there, even though I grew up in this area. You guys are all Hokies. Everybody wants to be a Tech fan. Uh, Vic came through there, and then my whole high school class wanted to go to Virginia Tech. But it was always Kentucky for me. I knew I was going back. When you were there, did they win a title? No, man. We never even made a Final Four while I was there. It was hugely disappointing. We were in the <laughs> Elite Eight twice. Um, one of them was the year we were killing it with Keith Bogans' senior year, and Dwayne Wade came through when Bogans had an injured ankle lit us up for a triple-double to lose in the Elite Eight. Then uh, we also had, I don't know if anybody will remember, the Patrick Sparks uh, versus Michigan State. He hits a three that hangs on the rim, I rolls in, sends it to overtime, that, yeah. but we lose in overtime. We were ready to like storm down to uh, Woodland Avenue and, and throw a party, but I never got <laughs> quite able to do it. No, it, we had, uh, yeah, that was the year. Those, those were some of my favorite teams. Which when did was you mentioned, finish at UK? Just uh, I graduated in 04 and then Masters in 05, so okay. I was there five years. Gotcha. Yeah, 05 was that last year, but the year before was uh, Rondo's sophomore. No, no, it was his freshman year, I think, um, before he left. And we had a great recruiting class finally under Tubby with Rondo, uh, Randolph Morris, Joe Crawford, and my favorite, uh, Ramel Bradley, who literally – barked at me on campus one time it was one of the highlights of my career I actually own his uh he made a rap cd while I was at school I still got that comes up on my ipod every once in a while and I smile it's great so Calipari as opposed to the tubby and I guess Gillespie was the the dark years uh has Johnson years 
has changed everything for you guys. And it's a, it's a full one and done. Everyone knows that about Kentucky. You guys were the first one and done team. Duke and Kansas, they do it now. And Kansas was a little bit before Duke and Coach K finally gave in. But you guys are the original one and done. And, and that's the thing I was saying about the players earlier. Every year you got to find new players to love and root for and learn their strengths. And that takes time. Is there any kind of one-and-done fatigue going on in Big Blue Nation right now? I heard the attendance might be a little bit down this year. And this team, younger than any other potentially, and we'll get to that in a little bit, do you think Cal, uh, do you think it's wearing on him a little bit? Yeah, so I'll, I'll touch on it real quick, and Richard can jump in. Um, to hit the attendance real fast, I think that's a sort of a nationwide. Attendances are just sort of dropping everywhere. Okay. And we had, there's a podcast I listen to that covers the team. They actually went down to UNC to watch a game recently, and their attendance is coming off a national championship atrocious, even compared to our small drop. So I'm not concerned about attendance. Uh, but on the one-and-done side, as a, I am a, a pure basketball fan. Like I love basketball, so it's incredible for me to watch our players come in, truly see a commitment from them. I think you hear folks talk about the kids are only there eight months, I'm not going to pretend that they're not taking dinosaurs and disasters to get through, but these yeah. kids aren't leaving early. They're completing their full year. That's why we have one of the highest APRs in the country. Okay. They're committed to the school. They really are. And you see that in the way they come back, the way they continue to talk about them. So being able to follow them in the NBA and continue to see their careers develop, I think is incredible. Now, there's a part of the Kentucky fan base that is not like me. They are completely irrational. And they are the craziest folks that is probably what represents us more so than what the average fan truly is. Those folks definitely will call into radio shows and say how much they hate this one and done, how they just need to recruit Kentucky kids. And gotcha. it's, it's ridiculous. Uh, but that part of the fan base definitely does exist. Richard, do you agree with Mike's thoughts in general? Yeah, I mean, especially on that last segment, the question is, from a fan base perspective, and this is probably a personal preference, but how much do you care about dynamism, right? So the the malaise that can set in, which is you constantly have somebody who is coming in and, yes, they're within the top five recruiting classes on average for the year. Uh, You know, if it shifts every year, freshmen is rolling and rolling and rolling as the one-and-done culture does, you could potentially sit back and say, no, I don't like that. But from our perspective, if you look at the variability of outcomes, they're, they're all over the place. Yeah. So you have missed tournaments, which is awful and really upsetting. And we Noel. don't want to see that. Well, he got injured. I know, but that was so, the year. That was his year, yeah. To, to you know, anywhere. It, it was stacking, right? When the first team came in in 2010, we got to the Elite Eight. The next team went to the Final Four. And the next team after that wins the whole thing. So that sounds great, right? We're moving. And then the very next year, we reset from the bottom, miss the whole tournament. And it kind of moves in that direction. So you don't get tired of it because you can't. There's so much variability in it that it really makes it more engaging. Now, as my brother said, yeah, we, we can kind of check out on the recruiting aspect now. I don't think most people do because we're crazy basketball heads yeah. for college basketball. We cannot get away from the perspective of it. But when you have a Cal team, you get to have all these weird things, right? Most recruits or most college basketball people you're looking at have some sort of defined skill. When we're looking at number one, number two, number 10, number 25, whatever five-star recruit comes in, you really don't have any idea at the end of the day what they're going to be able to deliver in college because most of these guys have been physically bigger than every single person that they've encountered in high school. And they've been able to take advantage of 
dominant traits genetically that have been pushed down to them where once you get to college and later the NBA, because obviously Kentucky's an NBA factory, unlike every other college, suck it, Duke. <laughs> uh, you know, these guys, you don't actually know what you have. Yeah. So you're waiting the first two weeks of the year to even get an idea, just a sample, a taster of what you're going to see. And ultimately, you're waiting till March so you know what you actually have from a team perspective. So it's a lot of fun, right? You can't go wrong with something that you're going to grow with every single year. You're going to participate in. You're going to watch them. And you're going to be entertained. And you're going to win. Yeah. That's the other thing, right? You might not win at all, but you're going to win a lot. Uh, The last point I wanted to say on Mike's thing about the APR being good is that Kentucky and probably Duke and Kansas, the three teams that really do this better than anyone else with the one and done, is that they're bigger programs than the players. Like you, When you have a Ben Simmons going to LSU or a Marco Fultz at Washington, they're the biggest thing. They're bigger than the program. And at Kentucky, you can kind of say like the program is bigger than any single one player. So many better players than you have already been there and been in the, your shoes. Yeah, and so Cal does the exact opposite when he recruits he really focuses on like a player's first mentality he's got all sorts of calisms but that's sort of his main one but he can do that because exactly what you said he knows the backbone of the program is there and so if he needs to say yeah you come in players first we care about you first but if you're not going to fit in yeah i got another one lined up i can come and get somebody and let me this is kentucky fandom to a t so this is random right we're at downtown crown uh wine and beer I'm in my Kentucky sweatshirt and my Kentucky Santa hat, and I just met Ed Anderson from uh, Letcher County that just came over and shook my hand and said, hi, like this, you wear your gear as a Kentucky fan, no matter where you go, you will find someone that says to you, go Cats. I don't care where it is. I always travel in a Kentucky shirt because I know I'm going to meet someone every single place I go. It's just so much different than what tech goes through year in, year out. And I will say Buzz has got our recruiting trending massively in the right direction, and just to do a little bit of the state of the program for for Tech and how it contrasts and is starting to potentially compare with Kentucky is just we're getting into those top 25 recruiting classes now. We were 17th in the nation in our 2017 class, and that was only three guys too. And to me, the the biggest part of our recruiting that's improved is that we're now out recruiting UVA. If you look at UVA's 2017 class, it was 99th. It only had two three stars and they were 242 plus in the rankings uva and tony bennett are an abomination to basketball <laughs> thank you for saying that i appreciate it because you know what their 2018 class doesn't look much better all of our recruits in our 2018 class were three top 300 uh, we had landers nolly at number 86 and uva's best recruit was number 331 so i don't know i know maybe bennett is it's similar to the recruiting thing we we're talking about when a program shows strengths. Sometimes it's harder to recruit certain players. And if you look at UVA and who they put in the NBA, you're talking about Justin Anderson in the first round and Brogdon in the early Brogdon, second. Yeah. And that's about it. And those are glue guys at best. Yeah, I mean, the thing about, well, just to take a small derailing thing about UVA, UVA is the poor man Syracuse, right? They play a very specific system that benefits you within college basketball it does not benefit your players in any meaningful way it's a gimmick it's a gimmick that works and that's great but it doesn't translate and so you know when you're looking at what happens at UVA you're basically looking at somebody who's taking advantage of the fact that you have a bunch of kids who haven't developed their skill sets yet and they're going to push people for three to four years to know that they can do it so that pack line defense is something 
it's something. It works in the same way that Syracuse zoning works. But it, but once you get to the NBA draft or once you're evaluating these players, you really can't evaluate them because you haven't seen them in any meaningful role of what would represent where they would be moving forward. So, yeah, UVA is pretty good. If you were to compare them historically to Virginia Tech, especially recently, they're doing pretty good. But let's be honest, UVA sucks. UVA is a pretender. And UVA's people are a joke. <laughs> and thank God Syracuse came back on them two years ago, or Tony Bennett would have made a Final Four, and I'm not sure I could have dealt with that. Like I said, poor man's Syracuse. The larger point on that was that our recruiting has improved, and UVA has been a much better historic and whatever program, but the fact that we've caught up to them are, and are starting to pass them recruiting-wise and may have our first one-and-done on our team this year in Nikhil Alexander-Walker. It's unlikely, but it's possible. Yeah, it's not it, happening. We're starting to move in that direction. And I don't want one-and-dones. I would much rather follow the Michigan State model right now. I, of course, I'd love to get three guys in the top ten like you guys do year in and year out. But for where we are right now to build, have guys become seniors and get better and yeah. better – it helps. And going into this Kentucky matchup, it might turn out to work in our favor. Yeah, I would have gone Villanova instead of Michigan State, but I think that's a fair uh, assessment, right? So what what is a Buzz Williams team? Look, I'm, I've not spent a ton of time with Buzz Williams, but, um, I, you know, you look at what comes out of it. For, forget Virginia Tech. Let's just go back to where he took over from Tom Crean at Marquette. And his very first year there... Uh, that's the year he pulls Jimmy Butler. He's taking him as a JUCO transfer. He's looking for guys that are exactly what your team is right now. Right. He's looking for a bunch of six six-ish dudes who can really play ball, who are hungry, who are humble. And by humble, I mean like kind of like that faux humble. This isn't lunch pail humble like Bud Foster. This is more like I'm going to go do the dirty work. I got the chip on my shoulder, but once I score on you, I'm going to flex but I'm going to quietly flex. And it's, it's an enjoyable group of guys. But you look back at his history, just at Marquette, he has one 12th national class 2009, the second year he's there. He's got six national class 2010. And 2013, he's got the fifth national class. So he's got some consistency there in terms of recruiting. And he had a little down year last year. This year, as you mentioned, he, he came right back up. The year before, he came right back up. So he's getting the four-star guys you need. He's getting the system guys that fit what he plays. And he's doing a really good job of it. Like, you look at this team, you can switch two to four basically interchangeably. Yeah. And if you don't have Blackshear on the court, you're now switching two to five. And in most basketball teams, and I stress most because you're not facing one with Kentucky, you can get away with that. Yeah. And that there's a lot of versatility to it because they've got a lot of talent shooting and they've got a lot of talent in defensive schemes. They've been together for a while other than a couple people. They can really... Make sure that they cover who they need to cover, they communicate well, they get where they need to do, and they can drop bombs from outside. So that, you know, when I think about what's a Buzz Williams team, that's what I'm thinking. A whole bunch of basketball players, Jimmy Butler's, Jay Crowder's, was it Vanderblue, the guy, you yeah. know, at Marquette? You know, you got a bunch of guys like that who can really ball out, who have the size, who potentially could transition to the NBA, which has got to be exciting as a Virginia Tech alum compared to what you're used to. We need to. some NBA guys. To see people who might not only transition to success on the court, but transition into the NBA, which is a lot of fun. I got to say, it is the most fun thing about a Cal team is saying, yeah, it's one and done, but it doesn't end there, right? Yeah. There's an afterlife. The afterlife's called the NBA, and it's been a lot of fun. 
Just the last point on Buzz's recruits before we take our first beer break. Before Buzz came along, Tech had one guy in the top 70 of the 247 recruiting rankings in their history, and that was Dorian Finney-Smith, who after Greenberg left, he left. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I think you're forgetting when Greenberg left, you also lost a guy to Louisville, which I'm pissed yeah. that you lost it to Louisville. Montrezl Harrell. He was can, coming to Tech. Let me take a break. Hold on. I'm going to put on my VT <laughs> because this pissed me off as a VT alum. Let's take a break to talk about the Seth Greenberg firing because it is out. <laughs> we need to move quick. Outrageous. You got to move quick. Gotta, okay. If you have no history as a good basketball team and the guy goes every single year, he's incru- increasing his recruiting class and he's providing results, right? You're potentially going to make the tournament. You've got these great recruits coming in. Think about the team that you gave up. Oh, I know. We could have had that year. You would have had Montrez. You would have had Dorian, Dorian Finney-Smith. Finney-Smith. Eric Green, I think, was still on that team. He won ACC Player of the Year. Yeah. You had uh, Jarrell Eddy, three-point yeah. specialist, played for One the Washington of our Wizards. We ever got to. He pissed me off as a, w- a Wizards bench guy by shooting a ridiculous amount of threes and not making the percentages historically. He should have, but that's okay. C.J. Barksdale, pretty good. He was pretty good. You know, that's a team. A lot of injuries. That what were good. you doing? So they fire him because Seth Greenberg's an asshole. Yes. Okay. Granted. But now you've hired another asshole, and you're like, what, what was the point of that? Everyone What's the point? that follows Tech basketball closely was heartbroken when Trez decided to go elsewhere because we lost Greenberg, and, of course, Finney Smith as well. And every because that can, team would have been so interesting and so competitive and probably would have broken the curse that Greenberg had started to create <laughs> with the committee and not getting in the tournament. And you fed a guy to the program of Lobel. They got to play with a bunch of strippers and then got to go to a national championship and win it, and now it's stripped. They wouldn't have had that national championship. You actually ruined the NCAA by giving them a player who then can strip Patino a program because a of strippers. In his program. And this is what's happened. <laughs> this is all Virginia Tech, former AD, too safe, has to have May a nice program. <laughs> I love our new AD. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful, has the appropriate perspective. That's the kind of thing where I'm like, I can't believe it. I just right. can't believe it. Can I finish my point? Yes. Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Ahmed Hill, and Chris Clark, all top 70. That's three top 70 guys in three to four recruiting classes, and we've only had one in history before that. Now, I can't go back to the 80s. I'm just talking about the 247 rankings. But Buzz is doing work on the recruiting trail, and we just lost our entire 2019 class. None of them were top 100. I'm assuming we're going to replace them with some better guys. Let's take a quick beer break before we get into the matchup. So for our first beer break, we're going to bring on Arash Tafakur, the owner of this establishment. Arash, we really appreciate you having us today. The beer list is so impressive. I had a hard time deciding what I wanted to drink, but you guys have actually done a collaboration with Jailbreak, and so I'm drinking the It's Christmas, Damn It. Tell us how that came about. Well, first off, let's cheers. 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 Thank you for coming. Not in a million years I ever think I'd be participating in a Virginia Tech podcast. <laughs> Arash is a, uh, a JMU grad. I'm sure he's basking in the victory from last night. I mean, it was a great game. I mean, you know, it's, it's fun watching, you know, this Virginia team do so well and other Virginia teams not doing so well. Oh, we're doing just fine. Yeah. Maybe one day you'll join the big leagues and, you know, you can get crushed in Conference USA for a couple of years. Can I, can, I ask you, can I ask you a question real quick? <laughs> oh, God, here is, we go. Uh, is your coach gone after this year? Why, no, I mean, man. Why he, all of a sudden are he's they He's not like, even taking calls. It's, it's kind of weird to me. Like, why all of he a sudden? He loves like, Blacksburg. And who well, doesn't? I would, I would hope so. I would hope so. Because they, they do – you do have a plethora of players to pick from in Virginia. So uh, Virginia pride, 
You know I'm big on that. I know. And, and you know, it's it's we should be happy that there's good football teams in Virginia. Okay. And that's cheers to that. Yeah, that being said, I'm the owner of Downtown Crown Wine and Beer. We are here in Gaithersburg, Maryland, not Virginia, but we also have a store in Falls Church called Dominion Wine and Beer. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of Virginia Tech grads that uh, live around there, so if you're around the area in Falls Church, check us out. Um, that's a smaller kind of shop, but we're building a bar upstairs as well. Um, our tap list right now, uh, we had a something called a 12% tap takeover. What is 12%? 12% is an importer from Brooklyn that imports stuff like Omnipolo from Sweden, uh, Eagle Grape Twin uh, from Brooklyn, um, Stillwater from Baltimore. So they, they're an importer that just brings in incredible stuff, like you know stuff that you don't see on tap very often. Yeah. Um, so right now, Pete and I are drinking uh, It's Christmas Dammit by Jailbreak. We actually asked Jailbreak to brew us this beer because they made a beer called Van Dammit, which won a gold medal in um, the Great American Beer Festival, which is actually a really big deal. And we thought, we were like, hey, we need a local Christmas beer. So we asked Jailbreak to make a Christmas variant of Van Dammit. So they called it It's Christmas Dammit. It's a Belgian dark. Uh, it clocks in at 8.9%. It says 7.5 on the can. Don't tell anybody. But disclaimer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it goes down so easy, I'm really, so really tasty. Enjoying it, man. Like, I, I love this beer. And like the color's amazing, yeah. like the, the packaging's great, but that's only exclusive for us at Downtown Crown Wanted Beer. Um, Robbie, what are you drinking? Right now it's the uh, Omnipolo, which just said it's the Nebuchadnezzar, which seeing that actually spelled out uh, was actually difficult for me to yeah, piece I, together, no, I believe. I got, you, I got you the Shiplong. Oh, you went, oh, oh, okay. Well, then I guess I'm drinking the Shiplong. So <laughs> both of them from the same brewery, yeah. so I'm sure they're just as equally as good. Um, Have you tried it's it It's absolutely delicious. Yeah, I've had a few sips of it. It's... Um, it's got a heavy, like kind of the heavy IPA uh, body to it. Um, a lot of fruit flavor, and it's honestly, it's. I don't take beer recommendations from everybody, but guess what? I'm going to take all of yours from now on because <laughs> every beer that you've given me here has been delicious, yeah, and this no, is that, no different. That 12 percent imports, they, they, I mean, Omnipolo is awesome for Sweden, but that particular IPA is um, that particular IPA has. Mango, graham crackers, sea salt, and lactose. Yeah. I mean, does that sound delicious? I mean, uh, just the... Sounds just a little weird, right? The lactose but is a little strange in the sea salt, but it actually goes... It all comes together. It's all little layers of, t of flavor, but it's not overwhelming. That's mm. what I really like about these new beers. They're not... Yeah. Some of them are made terribly, but, you know, a brewer like Omnipolo that knows what they're doing can get each little layer of flavor in there. It's like a good meal, you know yeah. what I mean? And a lot of people hate on some of the stronger kind of IPAs, the fruitier IPAs. Um, actually, it's interesting when you drink it, the, the sea salt actually kind of gives a little bite to it that cuts off the citrus right, um, right at the end. So it works out perfectly and in then, the beer. And let me say, your selection here, and we've been to, you know, drink a lot of beers now these days because we have to. We drink a different beer on every podcast. Your selection's outstanding here. I appreciate it's, it's that. It's awesome. Yeah. So, you know, I just want to explain. Uh, the listeners can't see this place. It's, it's a store. It's 75% retail and 25% bar. So we have... It's really uh, more like 50-50. There's a pretty good bar section here. It's great. Well, yeah, the bar section is good, but I like to say... I, I like to concentrate on retail because retail will always be here. Gotcha. Bar, you know, it's... it's, it's Got his ebbs and flows, but our bar is pretty busy. I mean, but I like to make sure that we're retail first because, you. you know, it goes hand in hand when you actually have the reason why we get all these rare beers is because we can put, we can sell, you know, 
you know, 50 cases of that brewery's beer, and then they'll give us whatever we want. Like, you know what I mean? They'll, we'll sell 50 cases package, and then we'll get their rare, ke- rare kegs on tap. But it just goes hand-in-hand when we have these events where people will try the beer on tap and then just buy it to go. So it's, it's, it's actually worked out really well. But we'll also have a lot of wine, too. So our wine list, if you want to start drinking wine and tasting wine, we could do that next time yep. if you guys want to <laughs> do that. So. <laughs> Uh, before we move into our game preview, are there any events coming up at DTC? Good question, Pete. Um, so I don't know uh, if you guys are beer fans. You guys probably heard of Founders Canadian Breakfast Out. Yeah. Uh, it was really sought People after. Are loving it. Uh, it, last time that was released was 2011. Uh, we were lucky enough to get a bunch of cases. We already sold through most of them, but we saved about two to three. I'm definitely getting one yeah. before I leave. <laughs> <laughs> uh, first come, first serve. Like, okay. yeah. He's like, he's like, no, no you're not getting one. I can't do that. I'll get my head ripped off. But um, so next Friday, we ha- we saved some bottles of that. But next Friday, uh, uh, when's this podcast going to be on? Like when- Monday. Monday. Cool. So this coming up Friday. Um, December 15th, we're having a Founders Tap Takeover, where we're also going to be have CBS on draft, oh, and wow. a bunch of the other kegs that we've been saving, some uh, Kentucky Breakfast Stout that we've been saving from last year. Awesome. So, you know, yeah, exactly. So it's going to be an amazing event. So Friday, 5 p.m., we'll have CBS on tap. We're raffling off 20 bottles, 20, 24 bottles. Um, I mean, it's just going to be a good, good event there. And, you know, in January, we're going to have some, like, exclusive releases that are just for, for us. Like, Brew is going to brew beer for us. It's similar to the It's Christmas, damn it. So, you know, find us on Facebook. Uh, sign up for our email list. Um, you know, Instagram. I mean, I think I think we do a great job, like, promoting what's yeah, going on. I, we have those videos. Always great suggestions. Facebook, Instagram. Have you ever seen my, the videos we make? They're pretty ridiculous. Of course. Yeah, Rob, he was <laughs> yeah. talking about them on our last podcast. Yeah, last podcast I was talking about. I love the videos. We should do a video with you guys. Like. Yeah. Well, I'd love to come on. I, I've i seen I've seen all the ones that you've had on there, and I, I love hearing about the Burrs, what they're trying to do, what, what angles they're trying to go with, what their next direction is. And um, for those that don't know, um, you know, getting CBS on, and those types of beers, you know, on draft is is not easy. Um, so if you're not if you're not like a hardcore beer nerd, you may not know it, but you know, those are the types of opportunities you want to go in and try to taste something that you're probably not going to get anywhere else. I, I do want to say something about like you know, like the the beer culture and you know, someone might come in here and see this tap list and be kind of overwhelmed because honestly, like who. Like a regular beer drinker probably doesn't want an IPA. Twenty-two with beers on crack. tap. I mean, for reference, for uh, the or listeners. you know, look at the, look look at number twenty or number um, number nineteen. It's a it's called Evil Twin Big Ass Money Two. It's a dried money American Imperial Stout with frozen grandioso pizza. Like, who the hell wants to order that? Like, I mean, really. <laughs> I, I don't know what that means. <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous. But the good thing about us is, and the good thing about our list, it's always going to be balanced. So if you like Pilsners, if you like light beer, we will have a light beer for you. If you like something like Blue Moon, we have RAR Groove, which is a locally brewed Hefeweizen. That's, we got something for everyone. Yeah, exactly. And, and it, it might be intimidating, but just ask, and like, if you want to get into beer. And if you don't want to get into beer, you just want to have some light beer. and have you a, sell have Budweiser? A, I can oh, see we, it from we here. got Bud, Bud Light. <laughs> But like lime, I mean, dude, we got steelers or pineapple, like but all like the bum. Natural light is the key. Yeah, all, all the bum Natty juice Daddy. you can ever want to drink. <laughs> but like lime never goes out of season. Rosh, right, well, thanks for coming yeah, on. Thanks for having much. us. No, we wanted to get the lowdown on DTC because this is one of the best beer stores in the area. So definitely appreciate you hosting us today. Appreciate appreciate you guys coming. Thanks again. Cheers again, man. Go Dukes! What a game last night. <laughs> all, right. all right, now we're gonna move into our game preview. To give a frame of reference just on where Kentucky's at so far this season, and I don't want to talk too much because I'm going to let the experts here uh, 
you know, break it down for you. It's but very generous. <laughs> they're seven and one, eighth in the AP poll. So they've come down a few spots from that preseason top five ranking. Seventh in the coaches, twelfth in Ken Palm, and sixteenth in Sagarin. They've got wins over Vermont, Harvard, and Troy. That Troy was the one that I had to pull because you don't really have too many impressive wins right now. But Har- you're Harvard. Most we beat those. Nerds. I said Harvard. We beat those nerds. The most impressive game you have might be the four-point loss to Kansas. The best win as it stands is Vermont. Uh, They're 71 in the Ken Palm. But I I, I made a reference to this earlier. This might be the most inexperienced Cal team ever. So how did this recruiting class stack up to the years past? Because they obviously are playing a ton of minutes. Yeah, so it depends on how you're looking at it, right? So it's kind of a crazy class. It's a crazy whirlwind of people leaving. So... if you look at it just from a stars, cumulative stars perspective, right? Cumulative stars, this is actually Calipari's best class. 38 stars. 38. <laughs> That's one way that to look at it. That is a huge a lot of number. And they <laughs> average about uh, 4.75 stars. So round up. It's basically a five star. Yeah, I mean, we've got, we've got eight guys who are either four stars or five stars. The vast majority of them are five stars, and we've got two five stars returning from a prior class that are sophomores. But I noticed it was nobody inside the top 10, but you had 10, 11, 12, 18. Shout out to that kid. 26, 31, and then Jamal Baker, which was what, like top 40 or something like that? Yeah, he's a transfer from... It's but those were the recruiting Cal? rankings Baker's Cal. on 247. No. He's a graduate transfer, isn't he? No, Baker's a freshman as well, but uh, he's injured right now. He hasn't played at all this year yet. Yeah, you've only have one sophomore contributing significant made minutes in Wenyan Gabriel. And you have two freshmen sitting out. One was Baker that Mike just mentioned. And he was a, a shooter that they were brought on late to get more shooting. Whereas Jander, Jared Vanderbilt, huge recruit. Vando. He hasn't played at all yet, also because of injury. Dynamic big man. And a lot of people are hoping he'll come back if you're yeah, going to make that Final we Four are. run. We're saving him for either next season or for a blowout in the NCAA. But just to finish the question off, is this the best recruiting class he's had? Because to me, it doesn't seem like it. No, no. And that's where you go. That's where I was going with this. If you look at national rankings, which you just mentioned, so forget the five star as one single group of people and start going back to who, are, who you are one, two, three, four, all the way up. This is actually Calipari's third worst recruiting class that he ever had. The worst one, obviously, being the one that missed the NCAA tournament. We were stripped clean of that. But from a class perspective of how many stars you have, by a weighted minutes-adjusted star or national rank times that, we're actually the third worst. So you've got a whole bunch of young guys, and you've got a whole bunch of young guys that are, instead of being 1, 2, 5, 6, they're more like the 10, 15, 20 level, which that, you know, that's the thing about a five-star. There's a lot of variability. You could end up being the next Anthony Davis, or you could end up being the next Anthony Bennett. The question is, where do you end up on that scale? And that's what the first year of college shakes out. That's the whole reason for the one-and-done thing, because the NBA teams are too stupid to figure that out on their own. So they need a year in college where they get to have a free look at people to make it happen. So I don't have an answer for March. It, We literally don't know what we have. It's a mystery, for sure. And one of the most interesting things about your team being such a young team playing defense typically can be very hard but you guys have been very strong defensively in fact 
ninth in Ken Palm's defensive efficiency. Is that just because they're athletic and long, or are they grasping Cal's system? Um, I think it's a, a mix there. It's absolutely because they're athletic and long. <laughs> the only guy we play uh, that's under like 6'6 is Quade Green, who's probably a sieve defensively as our point guard, but has shot the ball really well. Um, but Cal always, with these new recruits, his first focus is always defense. It's why you see us struggle early in the year for the rankings on a, from an offensive efficiency standpoint. He focuses defensively every single year, and that's why we end up in that top ten. And we continue to grow. We still can't guard a pick and roll to save our lives. The guys still don't get and, get and stay in a stance to keep the defense in front of them. So you're going to have guys that dribble around our, our players. It's going to happen. But the length is there. We get in the passing lanes. We block shots. It really causes a lot shots. of trouble for, for teams. And so as we continue to practice, and I was mentioning this earlier, um, these two weeks here where we have finals week and then Christmas week where Kentucky only plays a game a week for about three weeks, they call it Camp Cal. He takes these guys. We have two-a-days. We really practice. And that's where he sort of figures out what type of team we're going to be. And I'm, I'm excited to see sort of as we're playing right now against Monmouth and then as we play Tech next week, what kind of differences I see from, from how we played earlier in the year. So when is Camp Cal specifically? Is that before the Tech game or just after? It's literally going on right now. Okay. So, yeah, it's, it's sort of we have these. We played a week ago Saturday. We're playing right now, yeah. and we play Tech on Saturday. So those two-week time periods where he really goes in-depth with the team. You guys had a lot of games early on, and it didn't allow for a lot of practice time. And so I am interested to see just because you – didn't have a game for a week, and then you have another week off before you play Tech, how that team chemistry grows. And it makes me a little nervous that Camp Cal's going on right now. I was hoping it'd be the week after us going into UCLA and Louisville. You have a bunch of tough games coming up. Yeah. But it's it's been a weird season for you guys because you had to play so many games early. The offensive identity, I'm not sure what it is. I, and you, you alluded to, like, he tries to get defense going first and let these guys kind of rely on their skills to make offense. Am I right in that judgment? Yeah, definitely. And, and so what I think we've identified so far is a guy like Kevin Knox is clearly our best player. He, we sort of said, okay, if we need a bucket, that's where we're going to go. But other than that, running a scheme, we probably aren't there yet. We figured out Hami can't shoot, still can't shoot. Quade Green's probably a little better shooter than we thought. A couple of the guys are doing a little better, a little worse, but we have no, in no way developed an, uh, an offensive identity yet. So I'm interested to see over the next couple weeks how that really plays out. You mentioned Hamade Diallo. He's a, a hyper-athlete as like the second scoring option for you guys. Kevin Knox, 6'9", smooth shooter. I'm wondering who your third go-to score is right now because there's a lot of options and a lot of different guys handle the ball. But when you need a bucket, if those guys are on the bench or one of them's on the bench, who would be that third scoring option? I think we have a lot of options right now. And I, the one I'd be, I'm would be i real interested to see is potentially Kevin uh, or uh, Nick Richards as our big man. Um, You're one true five, really. He's got surprisingly good touch for how big he is. He's got great athleticism. You hear a lot about DeAndre Ayton at Arizona. You hear a lot about Mobamba at Texas. If you take a look at the stats, and Richard loves the efficiency stats, Nick Richards is actually a more efficient scorer, rebounder, uh, less turnovers. He doesn't quite block shots as, as well as those guys. But he really has some interesting touch. And I think, especially in a game like this against Tech where they're a little smaller, you could see us throwing the ball in the post and seeing if we can't get a jump hook out of Richards. 
I would assume that you're going to try to use the size advantage that you will have to your advantage. The other thing I noticed about your team is you guys don't shoot threes. In fact, you shoot the least amount of threes in college basketball. It's tied for last place with 12 per game. And when you do shoot them, you don't make them that much. So you're going to be uh, you're going to be playing in the paint. I mean, that's and if I wouldn't think it'd be any other way. Defensively, I think you're strong both on the perimeter and in the paint. Uh, there's probably I think you get in passing lanes a little bit more than maybe down low. Am I right there? Yeah, no, and I, I would say, so on that defensive side, I think you guys play similarly in, in what I've watched, like over-aggressive on the pass, trying to get steals, trying to get turnovers, trying to get into transition, a little vulnerable to penetration if you don't get those steals because you're overplaying, vulnerable to backdoor cuts. We're very similar in that manner. We just have a little more length uh, to contend with. Um, but on the offensive side, I think Cal actually has recently talked about that we need to shoot more threes, that there are a few guys on our team that are shooting a decent percentage, but they're really only taking one, maybe two threes a game. And so I think as he figures out that offensive scheme like we talked about, I think you may see some guys like maybe a a Wenyon Gabriel who hasn't played as much but has a decent shooting stroke. Um, I think you might see him start taking two, three, four threes a game and maybe that number from 12 a game goes up to 15 to 18. Because if we play you guys, and if you make, let's say, 10 more threes than us, which is probably pretty likely, I mean, that's almost 10 free points that we're giving up. It's possible. If you guys end up making those threes, it's going to slow down our offense immensely because we don't have a half-court offense. We we have no half-court offense to speak of whatsoever. And depending on who's making buckets – Cal's going to make defensive substitutions, so especially at the point guard position, we've got Quade Green, we've got Shai Gilgius Alexander. It's so hard to say that last name. I wish it just didn't have a hyphen. Uh, <laughs> we but, both have Alexander hyphens yeah, it's for too, last name players too in much. this game. <laughs> uh, but depending on that position, so let's say you guys start bombing threes and we're going to make it. He's going to put in uh, Shai, and Shai is 6'5" and he's got somewhere near a seven-foot reach to play defensively. That may help on your percentages, but he's not a good scorer, and he doesn't have a great first step, and he doesn't have a good handle. So if we end up in a position where we're playing in a half-court offense, it's going to slow down immensely because we don't have the experience, and we don't have the first step, and we don't have the handle to get by a guy pretty fast. So we're going to explore. We're going to pass around. It's actually fairly similar to how you guys run your game. Uh, But I think a lot of the way you all – from a Virginia Tech perspective, have increased the amount of points you're getting, the amount of shots you're getting, is that you're forcing a lot of people into defensive positions where they miss buckets and you hit them in transition. You're not going to get any of those with UK. Flat out, you're not getting them. These guys average at their smallest height, 6'5 across the board. At their biggest height, and they go about 8 deep, you guys go about 10 deep, but at their biggest height, they're averaging around 6'9. So imagine... Yeah. Your point guard at 6'1", trying to get a shot off against a guy who's about 6'5", with a 7-foot reach, it's not going to happen. So unless you can run a position where you're running through a lot of screens and you're getting people open or you're playing backdoor cuts, you're not going to get the buckets you're used to getting, which is going to slow down the tempo a lot. Quade Green is a 6'1 point guard, and him and Gil... J.S. Alexander. Let's just call him SGA. Yeah. Because that's just easier for all <laughs> yeah, of us. Yeah, because none of us ever got elected. From anyways. running the point or handling the ball perspective, 
who would you rather have out there against Tech? Because I'm thinking you're going to want SGA out there because of his size cause, and also because Diallo's defense isn't as good. Yeah, I mean, the question— and I'm sorry, Green's defense isn't as good. Yeah, you're fine. I mean, it's a, a good question. I, I don't have a good answer for you. So I think, you know, we were talking about this a little bit earlier, that Cal doesn't have a system. Cal's system is what players come in and what makes sense for them. And that works overarching as a class, but it also works game to game. So I have a feeling, this is just my personal opinion, that we're going to see how well you can shoot over the size and start with Quade because we need the offense. He's a much better offensive player. If we end up getting burned pretty heavily, like you guys run us through a couple of screens and, and we can't keep up because we switch basically one through four across from a defensive perspective, and they keep getting shots that end up going in, we're not going to be able to play quad A. So we're going to have to play shot. Ideally, we play the offense. You hope that your two through five can manage. And even Nick Richards, which Mike talked about, very efficient guy, he's actually a very mobile big too. Whereas you look at somebody like you have under center with Blackshear, no offense, but he looks like the guy from Men in Black where he's being piloted by an alien. (laughs) And it's not quite... You know, he is very effective. His shots go in. It's not but you pretty. watch that guy, and you can tell he's thinking about every single move he makes it's before true. it translated into his limbs making those movements. And so Nick Richards is not that way. He's fluid. Maybe he's not the best outside shooter. He cannot possibly come close to what Blackshear can do from the outside, but he's mobile enough to cover it, and he can cover anything else. So there's a lot of recovery potential there. There's a lot of elasticity. And we would hope that from a point guard perspective we're playing the guy who can put up the most points who can get us out in transition who can make sure the guys are in the right spot and if you kick it back let's say you have a two three transition you have a trailer we get that bucket and we can shoot from three what i think is interesting about both of these teams is that chris clark is essentially a one for one with sga they both stuff the stat sheet and if you were to round up with Shy, he does 10 points, four rebounds, four assists, and three steals. I mean, he does it on – so I don't want that guy on the court. Want just from a height perspective and a collective, like, skill perspective, he's a really good player. Yeah, and what's interesting, though, is I, I know you're matching up Clark and um, SGA right now. I don't think they see each other. That's I think also SGA possible. <laughs> generally plays the one or the two, and Clark usually plays somewhere between a three and a five for you guys, depending on what type of lineup you're playing. Um, so Clark's much more likely to see a guy like Wenyon Gabriel, who actually is very similar to him in that they're a little wild, but they're aggressive. They bring energy to the team. I, I think Versatile. that would be an interesting matchup. Um, Shea's going to be on uh, probably a guy like Hill, who's one of your better outside shooters. I think with that seven-foot wingspan, we're going to want him getting a hand up, making sure he's shooting from 24 feet, 23 Hill's feet instead of 20 feet. I so. think Hill's in for a long day. Because I, Hill's probably my least favorite player on the team. He's muscled up, athletic as hell. He's making like 50% of his three-pointers right now. But it's such a rainbow, and it's a little bit of luck. I think Hill's going to have a tough day. But athletically, he can compete with just about anyone on the court. Yeah, and it's, it's funny you say he's one of your least favorite players because in the few games I've watched, he's one of my favorites, even going back to last year. Like, <laughs> I, I, I personally have always had more of a rainbow jump shot. I love putting that arc <laughs> up there. Like I lo- His jump shot isn't pure, but I love the trajectory. I love how confident he is taking it. So he's a guy I'm definitely worried about. Like If we get in transition and we don't find him and he ends up making five threes, 
I think that's how we get in trouble. And, and another guy I really like from your team, I, I think his name's Horn, number 14. P.J. Horn. Uh, I saw him come in, and you guys have a lot of shooters on the outside, a lot of guys that tend to stay on the outside. Or if they penetrate, like Robinson, your point guard, they get a little wild. So you just got to kind of wall up, and they're going to miss the shot. It's going to happen, or they're going to turn it over. But a guy like Horn, I saw, he is one that I think he's shooting 100% from three on low attempts. <laughs> I think he might have one attempt. <laughs> Point four a game or something. But I, but I did see him ball fake a three, drive to the hole with confidence and strength, and finish. And so if you're shooting 100% and then you can ball fake off that, that's something that scares me, especially as an X-man coming in off the bench for you guys. Horn is the only player on Virginia Tech who has more offensive rebounds than defensive rebounds. He is a total energy guy, and Buzz talks about him as he's not the strongest guy, he's not the biggest guy, fastest, most skilled, but he gets out there and he makes plays, and he will defend fours, and Devin Wilson is another guy who will do that exact same thing because of our only one big man, we have to rely on these guards and small forwards to defend your 6'9", 6'10 guys. Yeah, and exactly what you just said about Horn rebounding. I I think offensive rebounding for us is going to be huge. I I think both of our teams like to get in transition. We're not a great shooting team, but our Cal said this before, our best offense may be just get a shot up on the rim, especially it's a team like Tech. you got one big five in the middle who can rebound. Everybody else wants to get out in transition, doesn't really want to rebound, and if we're crashing the boards with 6'7", six, 6'8", six, six, wings and guards, I, I think if we get those rebounds, we could cause you guys a lot of problems. We are 325th out of 351 teams in offensive rebounds. Buzz, it's just not something he does. It, 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 he gives it up almost just because he knows we need to get back on D and defend. We know what we do well. We can shoot the basketball, and we like to run. We're first in points per game. I mean, we're first in field goal percentage. We're third in three-point percentage. But those yeah. things are all going to come down a notch against Kentucky. And I'll jump in. Like, like what you just said about wanting to get out in transition and what we talked about earlier, being a young team, we focus on defense. But transition defense for a young team is always a problem. So if we don't get those offensive rebounds and we're crashing the boards and we're not getting back, you guys will get a lot of open threes in transition, and that's, that could really be a problem. Well, let's go into the keys to the game then. And I'll talk to Richard on this. I think that there is no possible way Virginia Tech can win this game unless we shoot 40% from three. And I've said how our percentage is super high on the season shooting from three. But in four of our nine games, we have failed to shoot 35% from three. If that doesn't happen in this game, there's not a chance in hell we win. We need that 40 mark. We probably need about 42 to 45 if we really want to have a chance. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting uh, statement. I'm not sure I agree. Like, you look at the Kansas team, and Kansas did not shoot anywhere close to 40% from three. The only team that actually Kansas shot 40% has <laughs> against us was uh, Harvard, oddly enough. Uh, now, it's, a, it's an important aspect, and I think that that matters. The question is, can you take advantage of our defensive lapses that my brother alluded to? And you don't have to do that from the three-point line, but you do have to have the patience to find a good shot within five feet. And we're going to give it to you because we're a bunch of ball-watching young kids. And so if you've got a nice you know, off-ball screening game or a cutting game, 
you can have a lot of success. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to shoot the three. Now, obviously, there's one option for you that works. That's the three. But there are other options to defeat this defense. Well, 40% was the low point because if we're only shooting 40%, we're going to have to be doing other things well. And one of those things is drawing fouls. And against a young team, I feel like that could work in our favor. And the other thing that could work against a young team is a simple press. We did it in the second half against Ole Miss. That second half, they shot terrible from three. We really were able to limit the amount of time they got to set up their half-court offense, and it helped us immensely. I'm wondering if that would also work for, against Kentucky. So there's a small percentage chance that that's a successful uh, choice. There's also a large percentage chance that you get busted open. So when you do a normal press, the very the normal version of a press is you try to put two guys on the guy who inbounds the ball and the guy who are two guys who gets the ball from the inbounder rather and the guy who inbounds the ball then runs basically free the problem is every single player on UK is a freak athlete who can catch the ball and is faster than every single person you have on your entire squad so if you can't manage to trap effectively so you're going to be playing yeah you're going to be playing four on three and is that really a good idea I don't know it now they're young they could be terrible with the press, but the odds are, considering that you're going to be a set of bushes against trees, we can see over your two guys, we can pass the ball to where it needs to be, and it's probably not an effective strategy. It's only an effective psychological strategy, and maybe that works. Can I jump in real quick? I, I completely agree. I think, but if you selectively trap, so a guy like Hami loves to dribble the basketball. So if you can force the ball to Hami in a full-court press and trap him, I think you have a great chance. If you get it, even a guy like Quade who's smaller, he may not see over the trees, but he can really handle the ball. If it's anyone else on the squad, exactly what Richard said, we're going to pass over the top and we may get some fast break points. So it's lineup dependent, but ultimately it might not be the wisest strategy in this. And I'm sure that Buzz has something drawn up against Kentucky. I don't know what it's going to be but I have more faith in him than in me. As I'm just going off what I've seen on the court this year. At this point, we've discussed just about every player and every matchup in this game. And if you have any final thoughts on that, discuss it in this next point, which is what is your final score prediction for the game? If I had to guess, I honestly, and I'm a sandbagger, and I am very superstitious. I know my brother is as well. I actually like your chances. I watch your team. You guys can shoot. You've got a lot of experience. The team knows how to play together. They communicate very well on defense. They switch very well. There are a lot of things that make a young team that's developing very nervous. Uh, you look at a team like Harvard, who ran us pretty closely against it. And they're not that good this no, year. No, and they are Tommy garbage compared good, to what you are. Good coach, and it's a good program, but they are not having a good season. No, and they shot 42 43% from three against us the first team that's got that kind of same vibe of well coached good shooters you guys have it and I think there is a you know if I'm sandbagging a little bit and I will for my own personal preference I think the score's uh, 69-67 VT and if I'm being being honest (laughs) see I know what you're doing here I know what's happening here you like this if I'm being honest we're going to put yeah, yeah, he's go he's going against. If I'm going into my wishful thinking, uh, you guys get 51. We put up 63. Okay, okay, Mike, what what is your score prediction for the game and your analysis in general? Yeah, Richard's full of 
garbage. I agree to a certain extent that you guys can be a scary team for us. Like we've talked about before, if you guys get out in transition, we don't offensive rebound. You make threes at a high clip. You guys could easily find a way to win the game. I'd say it would have to get into a run-and-gun type of game that's like a 85-77 type game for you guys to you win. You think that's our best chance to yes. win? Yes, I, I, I really do because I don't – with the length and the rebounding, if you guys don't get out and run and score, I think our size will grind you guys to death. I, I think it just will. But I do think it ends up being a mix of the two. I think we do want to run with you guys. I think Cal's teams do generally want to run, and that's how we score easiest. That's how you score easiest. So I do see an up-and-down game. I Especially since we're getting to go, I think it's going to be a great time. Yeah. I hope we see a, and, and a let's, high And let's just game. emphasize that point real quick. Me, Mike, and Richard are all going to the game, flying out to Lexington ne- next week. We're going to talk about things to do in Lexington for visiting VT fans at the end of the podcast, but I am psyched to go to the game. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. I'm happy to show folks around my, my uh, second home, as, I, as I'd probably call <laughs> it. Um, but if you want like a straight prediction for the game, I think we both push the ball. I think it's... We get into the 80s, the low 80s, and I think our defense and length is is trouble enough for you guys that you don't shoot that 40%, and I'd say like an 82 to 70, something like that. That was my initial thing, but then I was taking into account uh, Kentucky's tempo and the way they run their offense. 77-73 is what I'm thinking, something like that. I'm going to say Kentucky, but I do not think it's out of the realm of possibility that we pull off the win by that exact same score. 40% is what I'm putting at the odds of VT winning this game. 40%. I, I just think, uh, sandbagging aside, you guys are going way too high on your numbers. The amount of uh, field goal percentage by opposing teams against Kentucky at this point with their length is under 40%. Oh. The amount of three-pointers <laughs> is averaging 29 Oh no. So good luck with that. <laughs> well, th- hey, and this, is the, this is why you're on the podcast, because we need to know these kinds of things. I just think that we're just such a more veteran team that that is the leg up that we have. And we need to note, uh, we're getting tapped on our shoulder by our friend Billy right here. We have an 81-79 to 79 Boston College Duke score, and I think we can all agree as Hokies and uh, Wildcats that uh, F oh Duke God. and yeah, let's this, go this, Boston this College This live Eagles. game update yeah. is brought to you by Downtown Crown. We got 81-79 Boston College with under a minute. And let's just be clear. When you talk about Duke, you're talking about a bunch of rich old people that decided to replicate something they liked. So they're like, who's good at basketball? Well, UK's good at basketball. What can we do to replicate UK's basketball success? We're just we're gonna put a D, we're gonna put an E on the end of it, and now all of a sudden Duke is basically UK. They copied our colors, they copied everything, and yet they have less championships because they suck. Coach K is a fraud. To finish Padding his recruiting the, the odds with coaching of us USA basketball. Suddenly, the last four years have gone great for Coach K. Oh, so good! Except for he is a fraud. To finish on he the odds of like us a winning. monster. He is a person who's not a good person. Right Jeff face. Capel sucks as a coach. He's a great recruiter, but They've he drops bags, gives people a bunch years. of money. We don't love him. <laughs> we don't love him. The amount of teams unranked that have won in Rupp Arena. How many is it over the last 20 years, I guess? 20, 30 years? So uh, 20 or 30 years is, is uh, tough. So let's give, do give Cal. Us, so, yeah, yeah Cal. if we go by Cal first, um, we, I would say at Rupp each year we lose at most two games. I mean, if you kind of throw out 
uh, the 2013 year. We probably lost a few extra, but we regularly go undefeated or lose only one or two games. And out-of-conference, unranked teams. It's two, right? Yeah, we lost to UCLA last year, and I can't put my finger on the other one. Uh, I think we lost to Kansas. I think we did like a year or two ago. But it's as much as, like, Rupp's an interesting place. Like, it's not like a Cameron Indoor that's super small and intimidating. It's a big NBA-type stadium. And when you're we're playing sort of your old misses, your run-of-the-mill SEC teams, it can seem like it's a little... Uh, quiet in there despite the size but if you get a big game if you get the crowd going it's as intimidating as any place there is in the country and now we have a big screen so r.i.p big bertha yeah rupp arena used to have this thing called big bertha which was uh essentially a conglomeration of bullhorns sitting out of the center of the court which would announce to you what was going on there was no screen you oh, had wow. no idea what the game was, and they rode with this no screen anyway. from 1970 to 2015, basically. Wow. And it was one of the most old-school, unprofitable. <laughs> this is why Louisville gets to play their little game where they pretend that they make a ton of money. It's because they have a really advantageous arena deal, which after our latest Louisville scandals, we're going to question that. And it's going to bankrupt the city of Louisville. Yeah. Which, Very considering possible. we're both born in Louisville and I, all of I our family lives tangents. in Louisville, that's these not a good thing. Great. Okay. In terms of Rupp, we're going to talk about the experience after our next beer break, which we're going to take right now. We are once again welcoming in Arash Tafakur. Arash, what are you drinking? Uh, right now I'm drinking uh, Stillwater Levadura. It's a goes with agave, lime, and sea salt. Uh, goze is a German-style wheat sour. It's uh, really light. Um, it's it's not really extra sour like some of the sours that have like bacteria in them, which I think is kind of ridiculous. But some sours do. Um, Germans drink this after they work out because it's got some salinity. I'm not joking. Like they work out and they'll drink like a goze because it actually yeah it it they're tall it's, it, they're and they're strong. Sours. But anyways, um, it replenishes like you know the, all the sweat that you lost and nutri- nutrients. It's really good for you. So you're advising to drink this beer after. Absolutely, it's it's my it's my go-to after hockey drink. And uh, Michael Drake is drinking against a grain Bowen Luke, which is an imperial stout, barrel aged and Pappy Van Winkle barrels. From where's this beer from? Louisville, Kentucky, Louisville. my hometown. Louisville, Kentucky. So it got kind of fitting. Yeah, well, it's it's a uh, great beer. I've had a decent amount of sort of the bourbon barrel aged, yeah. uh, whether it's an IPA or a stout like this before. They're all uh, they vary wildly. Some of them are really poorly done. This one's very well done, especially with the pappy. Uh, I had you could taste the pappy. My, my first sense of pappy uh, after Kentucky beat Louisville in football last year. We went out and celebrated and had a, a nice glass of pappy. So I can taste that little hint in there, and it's a really, really good beer. Really nice. Richard is drinking Mully's Brewery Double IPA Hazy Not Lazy. It is a New England style IPA, which is basically a juice bomb. New England style IPA was made famous in Vermont. And then pretty much the northeast, like Vermont, Massachusetts, and a brewery called Trillium. Um, it's they're really juicy. They take they look like orange juice. They're hazy as hell. They're low IBU IPAs, which are and they're super drinkable. They're just they're they're awesome. It's a new craze. Richard, how do you like it? First off, cheers, guys. Oh yeah, cheers. Cheers. How do you like it, Richard? Uh, I think it's trash. 
So here's the thing is, uh, you know, you used to go to rock bottom when we got out of college, circa 2006, 2007. And you go to a, a rock bottom and you get like six different brews. They had an Irish red. They had a regular porter. They had a stout. They had a pilsner. They had a lager. And instead, nowadays, you go to a place like this and it's beautiful. 22 beers on tap. Wonderful signage. Looks amazing. Great IP. Great uh, ABVs, but they're all IPAs. They're all hops. They're so all juice bombs. You don't, you don't like it? Like, no, it's I'm just sick not... of you people <laughs> who are sitting here clogging up my choice of taps with your stupid hop shit and your stupid juice bombs and your stupid 600 calorie beers making me be 250 pounds I don't need that shit here's what I need I need a nice lager I need a nice pilsner I don't need two You're by the way you only have one of each the, uh... He's all good. yeah you need to calm down I can't I can't deal with it I can't deal with it. Can we get back to the place? The worst part is you go to Whole Foods now, and you're like, hey, I'd like a nice Pilsner. And the beer guy in the aisle is like, here, try this one. And it's full of fucking hops. Like, get the hell out of here, right. you old, nerdy old beer man. guy. Hey, old man yelling at cloud. Get, stop yelling at the clouds, all right? Let's okay, just, okay, anyhow, okay, so this beer tastes like, Bill, it Billy, tastes like a screwdriver. I guess that's good. Whatever. Okay, for those anyone that's listening, let me let me make something clear. Okay, Richard actually didn't go to Kentucky. Neither did Mike. Um, Mike did go to uh, Kentucky. Mike, well, Richard, <laughs> Mike did Richard went to Virginia Tech. Okay, he also went to JMU. Okay, what this bozo doesn't know is he also went to Nova Community College. Yeah. What Nor the Virginia Community College. What this bozo doesn't know is I didn't actually pour him a New England IPA. I actually poured him a little bit of a little bit of old English and orange juice. So the joke well, that is would on you. Explain why it tasted like the a joke screwdriver. is on you. Okay, that that's what you get for being such an old man hater. That's what you get, Richard. You get O E and orange juice. This is O E and orange juice. This is the best prank off. in that it doesn't invalidate anything I said, and uh, and it's wonderful. That's actually really great, Arash. I don't even know what to say. I, I'm at a loss. I, I really did Richard think this like and orange juice oh is trash. You want to taste? This is what it really tastes like. Do you taste it real quick? <clears throat> no, we will I, be coming back with our final thoughts on the game, <laughs> as well as the experience from Kentucky right after this. We're going to start off our last segment with what a win would mean for Virginia Tech. Clearly it would make us a surefire tourney team in the view of the nation. It would also put us up in the upper echelon of the ACC, a top five, top six team. Becomes a marquee win for Virginia Tech, not just this season, but maybe all time. And I was looking at Buzz's career. There's a good chance it could be Buzz's biggest win of his career if he was able to pull it off. He's beaten a handful of top ten teams. He beat a top ten Wisconsin in their house. That's always a good win on the road. He beat number four UVA two years ago, but that was at home at Virginia Tech. I really think that if he were to pull off this win, it very well may be the biggest win of his career. And where we are as a program, where it is, who it's against, it all has to factor in. I just really hope we can do it. I, it's unlikely. I, I said it was a 60% chance it doesn't happen. My Kentucky friends here think it's worse, but... Do you think it would be the biggest win of Buzz Williams' career, just from an outsider's perspective? Yeah, so I, yes, that's the short answer, but uh, the, the slightly longer answer is best out of non-conference schedule win, right? So VT's had a couple of really great wins over the years, 
And this one is, it doesn't count because it's not ACC basketball. ACC basketball is its own monster. It is very difficult to be there. Kentucky football fans, of which I am not one, but my brother is, know that it's very difficult to compete in a conference that's known for being the best conference in that sport. So out of conference, yeah. I mean, it's a great win. We're very high in every rating that you put out. And maybe it's likely that we go down a little bit, but we'll come back up before March. This is a very talented team. At the end of the day, it's going to be very good. So there's no way around the fact that this is, you know, a great thing. And the interesting thing is Cal, it's difficult, but Cal tries to schedule his non-conference teams to not make his team look worse. And Virginia Tech's in this weird zone right now where we don't know what it's going to be, but you guys are actually really great for a non-conference schedule in that if we assume that Buzz Williams continues to succeed in the way he has, he's going to be a team that's not going to let you down with respect to the rankings but doesn't hold the advantage of somewhere like uh, Indiana, where if you go to their home, if you have a home-and-home one-two schedule, that you're going into a place that's just a monster trap that you can never win in. And we actually stopped scheduling Indiana. You could argue why that's the case, but it's pretty clear the case is we don't want to play in their arena. Uh, And Virginia Tech's a perfect fit for a a school like Kentucky, a school like Kansas, a school like UNC. Because it's a good, solid win, but it's not a real threat to lose. And if if you lose, you're not going to let them down by ruining the fact. The strength schedule is not going to take a huge hit. So it's a great balance between, one, it's great for you, but two, it's not so bad for us either. If we take a loss, it's not the end of the world. And honestly, for our program, just playing in Rupp Arena is good for our program. It means, hey, they scheduled us. They're the biggest name in college basketball. That's huge for Virginia Tech. Literally just getting the game. like It's kind of unbelievable we even have this opportunity. And, and it's I- been my prayer forever that the exact opposite would happen living in Virginia, that Kentucky football would get scheduled for a bowl game with the Hokies one time so I could be in a no-lose situation. I'm, I'm praying someday we get that chance. And, yeah. that, and that, that's exactly the same thing because you're right. If we were to play – uh, Kentucky and what, the Capital One Bowl or whatever it is. I forget the SEC affiliations exactly. But you're right. We would probably be favored regardless of teams. And it's a no-lose situation for you. This is the exact opposite. I'm happy to be in this position because we are going to the game. If I lose, I'm not going to be inconsolable. It's just what it is. I'm in Rupp Arena. And that kind of leads me to my next point. What should I expect from being in Rupp? I can't wait to get in there. I've been in the Dean Dome. I've been in a couple other. I've walked into Cameron. I wasn't there for a game. Is it as impressive as people make it out to be? Uh, short answer, yes. Uh, but it's in the sense of you're in an NBA arena with a passion you don't see in an NBA arena. So, like you said, you've been to Dean Dome. We talked about that earlier. They have an NBA arena, but the passion of the fans isn't there. It's that wine and cheese crowd. Like It's not the same. Kentucky especially the upper decks where we're going to sit in one of those top rows, you're going to see folks from eastern Kentucky and western Kentucky. You're not going to see the richest folks in the world. You're going to see people who are just passionate about basketball, especially Kentucky basketball, and it'll be a great experience. So since we're going to the game, we're going to be you know, patronizing some of the bars, watering holes downtown. If visiting Virginia Tech fans are going to the game, what are some areas they should target? So it's, it'll be a little different for me. I, I went to school there, and I go back every so often, and the campus changes like crazy every time I go back. 
Uh, I've had Richard up to Kentucky and we ran through some empty construction lots where we were building stuff and drinking too much booze, breaking into vending machines. I visited Tech and he showed me about the same kind of time at the snowboard club where they were burning stuff all the time. <laughs> snowboard club. So I think now we're Shout 10, the snowboard club. 10, yeah, really. 10 to 12 years later, I think it'll be a different experience for us. But I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, there's a, there's a mix. So if you want to get that college crowd experience, you have to hit the world famous Two Keys Tavern. It is a staple. It's on campus. It's not the prettiest bar, but it's huge. It's got tons. Yeah, Richard's saying it's the tots of UK. Absolutely. It's legendary. Everyone goes there, especially on a game day, pre-game, during-game, post-game. Two Keys. You're going to find a crowd. Two Keys Tavern, the world famous Two Keys Tavern. A A couple steps away is a... uh, a tin roof, which I don't know if you guys have around here, but it's a it's a sort of a chain that's around the Midwest South. south. Uh, that's another great place to just grab a beer. But if you want it sort of a different crowd, the downtown Lexington area is really built up. Uh, there's a couple places called uh, Pies and Pints, Hopcat. There's a place uh, called Bells that, although it'll be pretty cold, they have heaters. There's a nice rooftop bar there. Okay. We've had some of the staples like Cheapside that are starting to close. And then there's another place called, uh, it's not a single place, it's called the Fifth Third Pavilion. It's a nice little open area with that's lined with probably four or five different bars. That's a great place where lots of crowds are going to congregate, especially post-game. We have a nice 2 o'clock game. It might get rowdy if people come out of the game yeah, 4 o'clock time. and just sort of run through the entire day. It, it could be a little wild in downtown Lexington. The 2 o'clock time frame is, I love that slot. Like, it gives you just enough time to get yourself good and loose before yep. the game and also get loose after the game without staying out too late. So the 2 o'clock time for the game, I'm excited about it, man. I cannot I wait too. to get out there. There's a, so and I, I'd recommend since it's 2 o'clock, it's not so early at noon that you can't really get anything done. There's a couple places. There's the Lexington Diner downtown that's a lineup, traditional diner. If you get there first and you get one of the tables, they're just nothing but straight diner tables, you'll have a great meal. If you don't get in line soon enough, you're going to be waiting a half hour, hour the rest of the day. Like, it stays pretty busy all during breakfast and lunch. Or if you want to get a little further outside of downtown Lexington, the staples are like Malone's and actually a place called Drake's uh, that are owned by some Lexington local folks that are just staples of the community. Really good brunch, really good steaks for dinner afterwards, too, if you want to go venture a little further outside. Um, And I would recommend, depending on how far away from downtown you want to get, there's some spots to hit outside. You can go to Keeneland for breakfast, which is the old local horse track. They're not running right now. They That's only run place. two times a year. It's my heaven. Literally, my <laughs> heaven is a fall at Keeneland. Um, but you can get breakfast there and check out the track. It's beautiful. You can go a little further out towards Winchester. There's a place called Red State Barbecue, which was actually named, I think, by New Yorker, one of the New York magazines, as one of the top ten barbecue places in the country. Okay. So it's out in Winchester. It's probably a 20-minute drive if you want to go out that way. Or if you want to take some extra time, you can go out to any of the distilleries throughout the area and check those out. We went to Buffalo Trace on our last visit. A lot of good times, a lot of good stuff out there. When Virginia Tech played Notre Dame last year, there were so many Hokie fans in Chicago and making the trip that I would anticipate with the way Buzz is building the program that we'll have a decent amount of fans out there. So I'm glad Mike was able to help us out with a few recommendations. I just can't wait to get out there for the game. This is such a big game for Virginia Tech, whether – we win or lose, it's good exposure for the program. And I know Buzz is dying to go out there and pull the upset. So I, I'm, I like our chances. And 
whether or not we win, I just think this is going to be a really fun matchup, and I'm so happy that Cal scheduled us and all the rest. No, I'm excited too, and I, uh, I mean this with no disrespect. I view you guys as sort of a mini Duke right now. Like you guys play the same style that they do. They have higher recruits, but I think it is a great test for our team to play that style of offense, see how we handle ourselves, see if we can guard it. Uh, I will definitely be crying if we lose because that's just who I am. <laughs> but I can tell you guys, hopefully you guys do have a good crowd that shows up. Uh, our fans, I promise you, at least before the game we'll and be most nice. of during the game, <laughs> will be completely hospitable. We'll want to show you every place to go. You'll have a great time. Hopefully then Kentucky wins. It was a no-lose for you guys. They'll and be then we show you even yes. more hospitality afterwards yeah. and everyone has a blast. That sounds good. All right, well, thank you again. Richard and Mike for both coming on. You provided us with more information than me and Robbie could have ever done. And I'm just excited, man. It's basketball season now. We might try to increase our basketball coverage this year a little bit because of making the tournament last year and hopes for going back again. Thanks, Arash and Downtown Crown. Wine and beer one more time. That's right. They've been great hosts. Except for that prank. Jerk. (laughs) Yes, thank you to Downtown Crown in Gaithersburg, Maryland. You guys need to come and check this place out if you haven't, any of our listeners that are in the area, because it is seriously the best beer store around. Anyway, I guess, Robbie, that covers it for us. 2DVT.com. We will be putting this up on the website. You can check out all of our football stats on there, our picks. I think I edged out Robbie on the season, but not by much. You made a nice late-season comeback. And we'll be bringing our bowl preview in a couple weeks, maybe. What do you think? Like, yeah, I a think week it, before Christmas. Something I like think that. it's usually a week before Christmas. And you beat me by almost twenty percent. Oh, oh, no way! Not twenty picks, twenty percent. <laughs> sixty. You went sixty-five percent against the spread, which basically you should be working in yeah, Vegas right now. That's, it's that's actually impossible to do. I haven't seen anybody that high. So, and I was at forty-five percent. That's because I kept picking Wake. <laughs> All right. Until next time, go Hokies.